Hello and welcome to the March 2022 episode of The Seagull. The Seagull is the place to stay up to date on everything you need to know about the 102nd Intelligence Wing at Otis Air National Guard Base, right here from beautiful Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I'm Tim Sandlin from Public Affairs and I will get you up to speed on what's going on here at the Wing. March Madness is here. For those of you who are new in the wing, this is the time of year when we top off all of our ancillary training and make sure we are all up to speed on the latest and greatest policies and procedures that are common for all. All of the training can be arduous, but be patient. It's all required and you'll be good to go for another year. Public Affairs has recently unveiled its brand new SharePoint site. You can find it as a link off of the Wing's main SharePoint page. We've got lots of great content there for you. Come check it out and let us know what you think. Okay, so enough for that for now. Let's get on with what's going on at the wing. In this month's Seagull, we've got five questions with Eric LaFranchise from the Information Protection Office. We learn about his role and how his requirements and processes affect each and every one of you and the overall mission and capability of the wing. We also get a little history about Miss Frances Fortune Grimes, a women's Air Force service pilot who served at Otis Field during World War II. And after all that, we get a quick teaser from this month's Chevron's podcast. But first, in this month's command message, Colonel Stephen Dillon, commander of the 253rd Cyber Engineering Installation Group, talks to us about the rising strategic importance of the Arctic region, especially relevant due to recent world events. Greetings to the men and women of the 102nd Intelligence Wing. I'm Colonel Stephen Dillon, commander of the 253rd Cyberspace Engineering Installation Group an organization consisting of the 253rd, the 212th Engineering Installation Squadron, and the 202nd Weather Flight. I'm sure you all have heard in the news regarding the South China Sea and the buildup of Russian forces along the Ukrainian border. These two regions, covered by Indo-PACOM and the UCOM Area of Responsibility, respectively, continues to grow as potential flashpoints in the global competition with China and Russia. Perhaps even by the time you see this video, Russia may have already invaded Ukraine. We in the expeditionary community and the 202nd at large must be ready to do our part in what Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin calls integrated deterrence. Agile combat employment, better known as ACE, is the construct the Air Force has adopted and continues to mature as demonstrated most recently in USAFE with ACE achieving initial operating capability this past November. The Pacific and Europe are not the only parts of the world experiencing competition or influence uh, for uh, advantage. The Arctic, commonly referred to as the High North, in most recent years is becoming another potential flashpoint with Russia. The Arctic's increasing strategic importance, coupled with the service's significant regional investment, requires the Air Force to have a unified, deliberate, and forward-looking approach ensuring the Air Force and the Air Space Forces can compete and defend the nation's interests in the Arctic region. In July of 2020, the Department of the Air Force published its Arctic strategy, which represents a strategic growth area for the Expedition Communications community, which includes the 212th as well as the weather capabilities organic to the 202 weather flight. As the Arctic region becomes embroiled in the great global power competition, the EI total force community and the weather flight will play a significant role as the Arctic strategy unfolds over the next several years. What that should be and look like is something that is being worked out at all levels. 
to put things into perspective as to why this region is so important to our national security, the Arctic is estimated to harbor over 90 billion barrels of oil reserves, 30% of the untapped natural gas, and around $1 trillion worth of rare earth minerals. As you can see, countries like Russia and China are seeking to, to capture and own these uh, access to the strategic natural resources. A special note, the Air Force recognizes that a substantial portion of the Arctic experience resides with the air reserve component and it will depend on units like the 212 and the 202nd to support this area of responsibility. The Air Force Arctic strategy is a relatively quick read and is worth your time to review and to gain a perspective on a region so critical to our national security. In closing, March 17th is St. Patrick's Day and I want to wish all those folks of Irish descent and those who will be Irish for a day a happy St. Patrick's Day. Erin Gobra. Welcome to Five Questions, where we get to the point and learn as much as we can in a short time about topics that have an impact on our lives and careers, as well as the mission of the wing. I'd like to welcome Mr. Eric LaFranchise, the Chief of Information Protection for the Wing. Thanks for coming by. Are you ready for five questions? I hope so. <laughs> All right. Question number one. Can you give me a one-minute elevator pitch for the Information Protection Office? In a nutshell, what do you do? Okay. Well, uh, we provide procedural guidance. We provide advice, assistance, uh, and uh, oversight to the security disciplines. And those uh, security disciplines and include the information security, personnel security, industrial security, and security education. And uh, it's designed to ensure we implement the maximum protection to the wing assets, uh, geographically separ separated units that we cover, and uh, mainly the Air Force and the Air National Guard. Awesome. Great. Um, so I'm going to presume that a majority of people that are listening, um, they will need to see you at one time or another um, due to security clearance processing. Um, what kind of information is requested on a security clearance application? Well, what we like to tell people is the security clearance ap application, and for anybody that has filled one out, it's usually a pretty lengthy process. And uh, they fill out questions that are all geared to what we call 13 adjudicative guidelines. It goes over from who you are, where you've lived, who you know, what your finances are, um, what your foreign preference status is, and it, it, the type of questions are geared towards uh, everything that we've ever learned in espionage cases over, over time and case law. So that's why sometimes people see the questionnaire increase uh, sure. over time. Awesome. Uh, question number three, what is the reason or a reason a security clearance could be denied? Well, there's multiple reasons that it could be denied. The number one reason um, that right now into the DOD CAF, which is the Consolidated Adjudications Facility that makes all the decisions, what could be denied uh, is the number one is finance. Financial issues are the number one killer of security clearances. The next one right behind it is criminal conduct. Um, that usually is in unison with personal conduct. Um, again, those things that I just named are 
13 adjudicative guidelines, those are part of it. Um, but the main thing to get across to personnel, like the job of the IPO, is to try to um, keep, you know, keep personnel security clearances up and running. And the way we do that is you tell me when the car needs to come into the shop, what's wrong with it. Um, so what we like to do is we like to help where we can. Um, now, certain things we can't help on. And, uh, but like with finance, we can find a pathway. We can galvanize the team together to, with your commander and uh, find a solution. And those are the main things that actually will, that we've seen have stopped a security clearance. Oh. Uh, question number four. Um, I've heard trusted workforce 1.25, that term mentioned. What, what is that? Well, the trusted workforce 1.25 is what we're in right now. And what that is, is it, it coincides with the continuous vetting process. Mm -hmm. uh, the continuous vetting process is a automated systema systematic process that uh, regularly reviews cleared individuals' uh, background to ensure they continue to meet the security clearance requirements, uh, i.e. those 13 adjudicative guidelines. So what it is is what we're trying to move to, and we will move to, is Trusted Workforce 2.0, which is the eventual elimination of all PRs. Now, that might sound good at face value, uh, but P what... PR? Uh, per periodic reinvestigation, okay. which for secret uh, holders, it was every 10 years, mm -hmm. and for the TS, it was every six so what we're tr looking to do is to eliminate that process and concentrate the investigations on those new accessions, those new, newest people coming in, um, which is the physical you know, investigator actually doing it. The, uh, trust well, you're right. That does sound like it would be a lot easier if we're not doing those, right? Yes. But there's got to be a, a catch. Well, the catch would be that you're investigated pretty much 24-7. It's a system that's investigating you. So computers don't get tired. And uh, what they're trying to do is, um, like, we'll find out about something that happened a year ago or six months ago. Uh, now it's getting to the point to where we can find out about it in real time, meaning if you got a DUI, uh, you know, last night, we'll find out about it the next day or a day or two later. Um, that's what it's moving to. So it behooves people to come into us and report things to us as it happens. Sure. Um, again, finances, they're running your credit or they're running your reports quite often. And uh, Well, nobody's perfect, but, you know, it's probably more of a question now that you've got, do you have integrity? Yes, and that's, that's, where, the, and that's where we get the uh, suitability and trust. Mm -hmm. um, trust being the major point of that um, or the major point I would get across is trust has to be earned. And you told the government you would you would be a trustworthy person. And that's how we assess it. Um, it looks better when you come in and say, I have a problem, because we know it's uncomfortable. We know it's not fun. And we know that you are, you know, you're pushing some trust on us. Right. In other words, I'm telling you this about myself or what's happening with me. And I'm trusting you to hold that information very close to you and 
help me out the way I need help, not the way I don't need it. Sure. Right. All right. Well, question number five, um, broadening this a bit um, and getting away from the individual security clearance portion. Um, what information is the IPO concerned with on a, on, a, on a wide scale? On a wide scale, we're concerned with all the what we call collateral classified, which is your top secret, secret, and confidential. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that we are very concerned about is your uh, your controlled and classified information, which is the old FOUO or PII. Right, right. There's um, a big emphasis on that and the yes. change of nomenclature, if you will. Yes, it's a it's it's a. Uh, and it's a change. Um, we tried to, what was happening is it was getting confusing for people. Is this mm-hmm. FOU or is this a PII or is this, um, uh, what we wanted to do is, one, we wanted to get that unclassified information if through compilation it becomes classified and to cover also that PII information that is very sensitive. So it is all governed under controlled unclassified information. So the IPO governs over that for the wing, and we work with um, like your comm flights and your uh, personality information assurance manager, um, as well as OPSEC, the OPSEC program manager, mm-hmm. so that uh, with the critical information list so that we can ensure that we encapsulate it all, capture it all, and protect it the way it's supposed to be protected. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's it. That's five questions. It's all done. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Is there anything that you'd like the Airman of the Wing to know about uh, what the IP office does? Well, I would just like to say that um, we're here. Uh, we're always you know, ready to sit down with you if you have something you just want to talk about. Um, we're pretty much um, uh, you know, available. If you tell us we need, you need to talk to us, we're going to make that time. Sure. And uh, just let us know. Would you recommend um, if somebody has something that they feel might be security clearance impactful that they come to see you first or do they go through their chain of command first? Or I, You know, I would recommend they go through their chain of command. Mm-hmm. We don't, um, I'm not going to redirect you. Uh, if you come to my door, um, there is that disclaimer that anything that is said that pertains to those 13 adjudicative guidelines mm-hmm. or pertains to a national security um, concern, we have to inform sure. the commander. And uh, But I encourage to tell somebody. You're not uh, going to turn anybody away. I'm not going to turn anybody away. Okay. No. So speaking of that, um, how can folks get a hold of you? Well, they can call the office at... Uh, the 968, the 4697 number. Mm-hmm. Um, or they can email the Information Protection Office, the organizational box, which is on the, uh, it's, um, of course, on the email. You just look at, for it on Otis. It's sure. 102 Information Protection. Um, or you can email me directly at eric.lafranchise at us.af.mil. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming by and uh, answering five questions. Oh, I appreciate you. Thank right. you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> In this month's history segment, Technical Sergeant Jessica Kennedy from the 102nd Mission Support Group tells us about Francis Fortune Grimes, a women's Air Force service pilot who served here at Otis Field in the 1940s. Francis Fortune Grimes was a member of the Women's Air Force Service Pilot Program. Known as WASPs, these outstanding aviators were the first women to fly American military aircraft. 
They became one of the most distinguished group of pilots to fly during World War II. Of 25,000 applicants, 1,830 were accepted to the training program, and 1,074 completed the rigorous training. These 1,074 graduates joined with the 28 Women's Auxiliary Ferry Squadron to become WASPs. Born in Deer Park, Maryland, Grimes was a graduate of West Virginia University and the University of Pittsburgh. She entered the WASP program in January 1943 at Ellington Field in Houston, Texas, and began her flight training at Avenger Field in Sweetwater, Texas on January 15, 1943. Grimes completed her training as part of the class 43 Whiskey 3 on July 3, 1943, and was designated as a ferry pilot assigned to Love Field in Dallas. From there, she served at Camp Davis, North Carolina, before arriving at Otis Field on December 15, 1943. Grimes was assigned here at Cape Cod for aerial operations in the RA-24 Bravo dive bomber. On March 27, 1944, shortly after takeoff, her aircraft experienced a stall and began to spin, crashing to the ground. Grimes was 32 years old at the time of her death. Three other WASP pilots were also serving at Otis Field at the time of Grimes' passing. Shirley Ingalls, Mildred A. Toner, and Mary L. Leatherby all served as pallbearers at Grimes' funeral held on Camp Edwards. Numbering just over a thousand strong, WASPs had a significant impact on the war effort. In addition to assignment as ferry pilots, they also towed targets for anti-aircraft practice and were involved in the testing for the first drone programs the United States used during the war. In all, 38 WASP members lost their lives. The WASP program was deactivated on December 20, 1944. During their time of service to the nation, they were not recognized as part of the armed forces, and they received neither veteran benefits nor status. In 1977, President Carter signed legislation providing veterans status for WASPs, qualifying them for benefits offered by the Veterans Administration. On July 1, 2009, WASPs were awarded the Congressional Gold Medal by President Barack Obama. This month, we recognize the bravery and sacrifice these women of distinction made contributing to the war effort. The contributions of these pioneer pilots, such as Francis Fortune Grimes, are an inspiration to all airmen and epitomize the Air Force core values of integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all we do. Speaking of our core values, check out this Air Force message about breaking barriers. It's a couple of years old, but still just as relevant as ever. It's easy to find your limits. Eventually, you hit a wall, or a ceiling. In the Air Force, we tell our own to aim high. Since the beginning, we've refused to accept limits. We don't hit walls. It wasn't that long ago they said man couldn't fly. In 1947, we broke the sound barrier. The Tuskegee Airmen broke the color barrier. America's women broke the gender barrier. Some walls are inside your head. Some walls are in the minds of others. Intolerance, ignorance, oppression. The Berlin blockade was a wall you could touch. We broke through. More than two million tons of cargo, food, clothing, medical supplies, were airlifted across the Soviet line. The Arctic saw a C-47 Skytrain become the first plane to ever land at the North Pole in 1952. In 1978, GPS was born with the launch of Navstar, and guided defense systems became reality. The first enlisted RPA pilot, the first American female fighter pilot, 
Soon, the first female special tactics airman. The Enola Gay ushered in the nuclear era. We've made planes all but invisible. We were the first to parachute from outer space. We have to aim higher, because there are no boundaries in this Air Force. We see the impossible. We see things no one else sees. But we don't see walls. Where others see barriers, we see bridges to the future. Hard to cross, dangerous, with no guarantee. But what's on the other side is worth it. It's not greatness or glory, it's selflessness. We don't break barriers for ourselves, because to break through is not the end of your journey. It's the beginning of a thousand journeys for those right behind you. Inside every one of us is something so small and enormous, it has the potential to change the world. It's our purpose. Small because it's personal, enormous because of its power. It's been said that the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. Everything was impossible until someone did it. You have sworn an oath to follow orders. Your orders are to look to the horizon. Look to the sky. Space. Dare to see beyond everything we know. The future is waiting for you to create it. Walls are built of fear and doubt. The ones who break through are the ones who never saw a wall at all. Aim high, Airman. Before we go, here's a bit of a preview of our other podcast, Chevrons. From junior enlisted to senior leaders and those in between, we interview notable individuals to address everyday challenges and hurdles the enlisted force faces. Featured on this episode are Senior Master Sergeant Martina Krauss, NGB Senior Leadership Management Office, and Master Sergeant Christopher Smith, ANG Senior Enlisted Leadership Management Office, who recently joined us as we discussed enlisted development opportunities and how one can best prepare themselves to not only apply for these opportunities, but to best succeed in the profession of arms. I thought it was really cool that you referenced the importance of attention to detail at such a high level. That's something that we're taught at basic training, you know, just the way you roll your shirts and roll your socks and cut threads off. And now when you're applying to senior enlisted positions, you need to make sure that your cover sheet looks right, that all the all, all your boxes are ticked, that you answer the questions the way that's looked for. Because uh, I truly believe attention to detail is important, but I completely appreciate the consistency that the Air Force is showing there from the bottom to the top. So I, I thought that was really cool. So thank you for enlightening me there. Sure. You know, it's interesting because looking at, I've never been on the other side as far as reviewing so many packages. I never had a job like this, but I will tell you, first impressions on packages are equally as, as important as in person. As soon as you open that first page and it's sloppy, you're kind of like, hmm, and, and it gives you that first impression, right? So you're so right. We do learn that at such a young age in the military and, and, and we need to be consistent with that because it holds true for everything we do. Yeah, you know, you wanna give people the opportunity to prove themselves, but it's also, it's the consistency. It's, it's if you can't have attention to detail in a simple package, how do we know that, that 
we're going to have the attention to detail in the actual job uh, that we may be appointed to. So I think it's important. It's fair, but uh, we need to be level across the board. Now, I wanted. Thanks for listening to The Seagull. Spring is nearly here and it won't be too long before April arrives. And you know what that means, right? April Fool's Day. Keep it fun and friendly, but why not do a little scheming and pull an innocent prank on a coworker? It is on Friday this year, a perfect day to enhance some office esprit de corps. For more news from the 102nd Intelligence Wing, visit our website at www.102iw.ang.af.mil links or search for 102iw on any major social media platform.